0: I'm sure by now you've all heard that the stock market has gone absolutely crazy and a lot of people have made a lot of money and a lot of people have lost a lot of money but unfortunately one of the byproducts was interest rates started to creep up you see typically we see the Dow Jones work directly inversely with the 10-year bond so if the stocks are having a great day well it might mean that the 10-year bond is not and when that happens it means interest rates start to creep up so we did get a few worsened notices over the last week, and that should serve as a reminder to you if you've been on the fence about refinancing. Now is the time. We've identified the floor. Rates aren't going to get any lower than they are right now. There's only one place for them to go, and that's up. Hurry, before it's too late, to save with Conrad.com. Now, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket, but if you're in a 30-year loan, you're going to be able to pay your house off in half the time with roughly the same monthly payment. Just check out Mario from California. He says, everything that Conrad says on his podcast about first family mortgage is true. The whole process was simple and easy. Jimmy was easy to work with. Not only was he able to knock 10 years off of my loan, my interest rate went from 4.25 to 2.62. Thank you to Conrad and his team. You made this veteran very happy. I'll definitely be recommending first family mortgage to my friends and family. What are you waiting for? We've got five-star reviews one after another from families just like yours who either A, needed to knock out some credit card debt and lower their monthly payment by five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month, or folks who were in a 30-year loan and didn't think they could afford a 15-year loan. But now they're paying their house off in half the time, and they're doing it with roughly the same monthly payment. These rates won't last forever. And I want to make sure your debt doesn't last forever. Get a quick quote right now. We're licensed in more than 40 states. It truly is fast and easy at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? If you haven't already made your February payment, you won't have to make your February or your March payment. You're done until April. Find out how easy it is right now for free with a quick quote at savewithconrad.com. Steven's brand new, deep Navy blue and sparkling 24 karat gold dip twinkle, twinkle roses here, but time is already running out because the brand new color sells out each year. Don't miss out. Imagine on Valentine's day when she opens this really cool gift box and outslides a blue rose trimmed in gold, you know, blue, the color of the sky, just before the sun sets, and you can start to see all the stars sparkling in the night sky. It's breathtaking. Go now to see this real 24 karat gold rose deeply dipped in real pure 24 karat gold with petals in this unique and dazzling blue color that mimics the stars in the sky. Exclusively available at Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelers, real roses, really dipped in pure 24 karat gold with a real lifetime guarantee. It's always the number one Valentine's Day gift that lasts forever. It comes with your own free personal love note, and ships fast and free to the real love of your life, your wife, your daughter, your sweetheart, and say I'm lucky to have you in my life. Check out the entire collection of Stephen's famous roses. Roses started only fifty nine dollars. Go right now to ihatestevensinger.com. dot That's ihatestevensinger.com. dot com. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm 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 perfect. I'm
1: I got up early. I sucked down my caffeine. My kratom got all packed up. The truck is loaded. We're here in Huntsville. Our very last day in Huntsville. I'm getting a little mel. I'm getting a little melancholy. I'm actually going to miss Huntsville.
0: <laughs> but
1: uh, now we're packed up. We're ready to go, and uh, looking forward to the trip back to Wyoming.
0: Huntsville gets a bad rap, man. Huntsville's uh Huntsville's a fun town. I'm glad you and the the wife got to check it out.
1: You know, I if it gets a bad rap, it only gets a bad rap from people that have never been here. Yeah. Um it's it's really a beautiful place. There's so much here regardless of what you're into. I love the geography, the hills. It's a very wooded, you know, it's it's the kind of environment I like cuz I'm not a city guy. But yet you have all of the great things about a city. You have great shopping, great restaurants, as we were talking about before we went live here. Great restaurants, great shopping. The technology that's here, it's amazing. Um, The roads are in great shape. The people are super friendly. So if anybody says anything bad about Huntsville, you could probably bet they've never really been here.
0: Well, I appreciate you putting over our city. Let's put over a few more things. I don't know if you saw, but the... uh The internet was turned on its ear this past Thursday. We announced that adfreeshows.com continues to grow. And our little network here on Westwood one does as well. The Olympic gold medalist, Kurt angle is going to be joining us. He has a brand new podcast. It's going to be debuting this coming Sunday, super bowl Sunday. Uh, You can find it anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Just look for the Kurt angle show, Kurt angle, man on the network. What do you think? I, am I'm, I'm blown away. You know, you told me about this several weeks ago, actually. And,
1: you know, I, I was excited about that, excited about it then. But now that it's a reality, and now that it's actually happening, I'm, I'm even more excited about it. And, you know, Kurt is a very, very interesting man. Yeah, um, His backstory is incredible his life experiences outside of professional wrestling, forget about professional wrestling just for a moment, just his life before professional wrestling Mm -hmm. is, is an amazing story and a journey that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited to, uh, to have an opportunity to share in, and then talk about what he's done or in professional wrestling, which is in many respects, I think Kurt angle stands alone in terms of his accomplishments in sports entertainment, not only because he, he performed at such a high level, but because he came in, you know, with no real interest in, in the business, no background in the business, no relationships in the business, jumped in, grabbed it by the balls and rose to the top. at such a incredibly rapid pace. Um, not too many people can, 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 claim to have had the, the kind of success that Kurt has had in the industry. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating journey.
0: Well, we're super excited about it. Follow it on social media. If you haven't already, it's at the angle pod, our very first episode debuts everywhere. You enjoy podcasts this Sunday. Of course you can get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com including video. Our first topic will be WrestleMania 19. Of course, most people remember that main event for the botched shooting star. But Kurt Angle wrestled his only WrestleMania main event with a broken freaking neck, not just the Olympics, but yeah, his first WrestleMania main event, we get into the personal side of that story and a whole lot more. You don't want to miss it. It's everywhere. You enjoy podcasts this Sunday, super Sunday. Uh, just look for the Kurt Angle show, or uh, just go right now to adfreeshows.com And by the time, you know, everybody else is listening to episode one, you'll have episode two, where we're going to talk about that journey. From the Olympics to joining Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation. But today on 83 Weeks, our topic is a very special tag team. I think one of the more underrated tag teams in wrestling history, Harlem Heat. Of course, we're going to be talking about Booker Huffman and Lash Huffman. In real life, of course, we know him as Booker T and Stevie Ray. What was the first time you met Booker and Stevie?
1: Would have been uh, approximately 92, I think, um, in WCW. Um, Bill, Bill Watts, I believe brought them in while I was the C squad announcer and reveling in that position. I remember the first time I met them was at center stage in Atlanta, Georgia, when they made, I think what was their first appearance in WCW. Um, yeah, it's been a while, been a minute.
0: What a great story they have too. Um, of course, Stevie Ray was the older brother, Lash Huffman, his real name born August 22nd, 1958. He's one of eight children. Uh, Booker Huffman, who of course we know as Booker T, is the youngest of those eight children. He was born March 1st, 1965, and this all happens in Plain Dealing, Louisiana. What a great city that is. Uh, Booker has a book out called From Prison to Promise, and we use a lot of that for research here. Unfortunately, by the time Booker was 13 years old, so Stevie Ray would have been around 20 years old, uh, both of his parents passed away, and... Some people pull all the right cards from the beginning of life. Booker is not really one of those guys. He has a a rough go of it. Did you ever have a conversation with Booker about him losing both of his parents at such a young age?
1: I'm embarrassed to say this because I I consider myself pretty good friends with both Booker and Stevie Ray. Um, But we never really got into a discussion about their childhoods or life before wrestling. So this show in particular is going to be as much of a, um, a journey, as we said, just a few moments ago with regard to Kurt angle for, for me, as it is for the listeners.
0: Let's talk a little bit about Booker. We're going to do a full episode on Booker at one point, I'm sure. Uh, because he had such an incredible run. And I think you could make the argument that of all the talent that left WCW, uh, once it closes down, of course. And makes the transition over to the wwe booker probably had the best run don't you think eric
1: i think you know booker chris jericho would probably be you know neck and neck in that regard but what i find so you know i had a chance i was on jericho's cruise almost a year ago um at this point and got to spend some time with booker and talk to him and charmel who by the way i want to take a little bit of credit for that (laughs)
0: this.
1: <laughs> because it, it came about like so many other weddings and marriages uh, in professional wrestling. As, as a result of Charmel being a part of uh, the Nitro Girls and got a little uh, close to Booker while he was in WCW. And here we are all this time. And I was we were literally getting off the ship. Um, and I, I was talking to Booker and Charmel, and Booker has so much stuff going on. Not only did he he, he was. He, he and Stevie Ray, extremely successful in WCW, arguably one of the more successful tag teams tag teams in WCW, went on to become Booker did very successful in in WWE, but he's successful today. Yeah, you know, not only is he still working for WWE, and does an amazing job. Um, very entertaining, very insightful, credible as an analyst in WWE. But he's also doing boxing and all kinds of other things. And he's got his own wrestling promotion in Houston. He's got his own television there. He's really uh, an entrepreneur. Um, He's done so much, and he's been so successful. And he continues to be successful. It's not like he left WWE and decided to just kick back and enjoy the fruits of his labor. He dug in and is continuing to to build success upon
0: success. And by the way, it didn't have to wind up that way. You know, the booker story is a story of perseverance. It is a success story. Uh, it's a, a bit of a rags to riches story. I mean, you talk about losing your, your parents at such a young age. And then eventually, as we know, he got in a little bit of trouble. Um, I'm sure we'll tell the whole story some other time, but ultimately there was an armed robbery at a Wendy's. He wound up pleading guilty in December of 87 to two aggravated uh, robbery counts and was sentenced to five years in prison, and he's only twenty two years old. So, when you hear a story of a guy, you know, doing a getting sentenced to five years in prison at just twenty two years old, you think, "Well, boy, this is going to have a sad ending." But it didn't. Booker pulled the nose up, as we like to say here on the show. He's released after just serving nineteen months. He's placed on parole until April of ninety two. This is quite the uh, the moment, you know, where your life could go left or right. And he obviously made a lot of better choices on the other side of this. Did you ever have a conversation with Booker about his dust up with the law here?
1: Uh, Very brief conversations. And it was almost not not so much conversations as, you know, very quick references to it. You know, Booker would reference it. Um, But what I find amazing, you know, listening to you talk about that, I watched a documentary uh, Mrs. B and I did um, about two months ago. And as is always the case, I forgot the name of the documentary, but it was a really, really interesting documentary about five young men who, young boys really, who ended up in a situation, not unlike, you know, what you described with Booker and and being arrested for an armed armed robbery. In in the case of the documentary, these kids weren't guilty, um, but got convicted anyway. And what I took away from that documentary and what really impresses me even more you know as we talk about booker today is when a young young kid young man young boy in some cases gets put into the system Mm. the you're you're marked for life you know once you're a felon once you've got that criminal record where do you go to get a job let's right. let's pretend that booker t graduated from college let's pretend he came from you know a family with a tremendous amount of resources and a strong family foundation which we know none of that was true the exact opposite was true right but even someone from an ideal situation once you get into the system the odds of ever getting out of that system are astronomical yeah. because you're it's hard for you to get a good paying job because you're a felon. Um, you carry that stigma with you forever. And when you can't go to get a good paying job, what do you end up doing to survive? You live, you go right back to the edge. You go right back to the, the environment and the, the, the circle of associates and people that you hang out with that got you in trouble in the first place. Yeah. And it just, it perpetuates itself. And not to get political, but it's one of the documentaries that I saw that really got me beyond interested, almost passionate about prison reform. And to just think about, you know, a a 22-year-old, I know he's an adult, you know, he was a man, he was a young man. But he's a kid. He's young. But you're still a kid yeah. emotionally, psychologically. Yeah. You, you're still making choices and decisions at 21 years old that are probably more closely aligned with decisions that you would have made when you were 16 than decisions that you would make later on in life when you're in your 30s and your 40s. You're right. a kid intellectually and emotionally. And for a kid of 21, 22 years old to go into the system, especially with a rap like armed robbery, the odds of getting out of that are so slim mm-hmm. and then and then to decide to become a professional wrestler where the odds of becoming successful for anybody yeah anybody is even slimmer and then to achieve the success of bookers achieved i just think it's a fascinating story and i'm more impressed with him now even after the first how long we've we been doing this 10 minutes of this show than I was before we started. When you think about the context of where he came from, the deck being stacked against him, the way it was not not only growing up as a young black man in Louisiana, but losing your parents at such an early age, then boom, you're in prison for armed robbery and then boom to come out and achieve the level of success. He's a fascinating dude, man.
0: It's also worth mentioning. And I know we're going to piss some people off with this, but The odds have to be against you being a huge success in professional wrestling in that era as a black man. I mean, there were not a lot of, there were not a ton of, of African-American success stories in wrestling. Certainly there were examples and there were exceptions, but by and large, it was very much a good old boy system. It's a bunch of older white dudes. I mean, yeah, there are the junkyard dogs and the, and the Coco bewares and the Bobo Brazils before them. Ron but, Simmons. But and of course Ron Simmons, my goodness, the first African American world champion. But the point being, the odds were definitely against you to make it in wrestling, but somehow even more so in that era as an African American. So Booker overcame all the odds and that's why this is a great success story and as luck would have it, we're actually covering this uh, on the first day of uh, Black History Month. So let's talk a little bit about how he gets into wrestling. Uh once he gets out of prison, he's trying to you know, make some better life choices and, and, and carve a new path for himself. And he's working as a single father in Houston. So now you got to think about that context as well. There's pressure to make it in a way that a lot of dads listening to this will understand. It's actually his older brother, Stevie Ray, who's going to be the one who suggests that they check out a new wrestling school that's being opened and, and run by the Polish powerhouse himself, Mr. Ivan Putzky.
2: Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. Ivan Putski was one of my favorite wrestlers as a kid growing up in Minnesota. I used to watch Ivan because he would come up through the AWA probably about three times a year. Ivan Putski, the Polish hammer, he'd come in wearing a pair of like cutoff jeans that were cut off like right around the knees, a pair of construction boots he'd had on this filthy dirty wife beater and he had on one of those uh i don't know what they call those caps but it's like you s- expect to see somebody you know that drives a cab in new york city back yeah. in the 60s and 70s they come out with a cigar kind of like the crusher and uh he did do a great promo but man he was fun to watch i loved ivan Putski. ivan Putski, obviously nick bachmuckel was my favorite of, of all of them but of the character type wrestlers um You know baron and and ivan putsky were like and mad dog Vachon were my three favorites but ivan putsky with the polish hammer one of my favorites i didn't know here we go this is why i love this show and i love doing this show because i learned something i did not know that ivan putsky trained booker t and
0: stevie ray i love that man we're talking about stories from way back in the day and uh, if you think way back to the beginning of 83 weeks bluechew.com was there And they're still with us. We are so glad that Blue Chew is still a sponsor here on the show because so many of our listeners are seeing that this really works. Now, here's a new take on things. Do you have a hard time taking pills? We are not alone. This is the only way to get those same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. And how about this? Chewable from Blue Chew.com. Now, you already knew that. And you knew if you like sex, you'll love Blue Chew. And you knew that Blue Chew.com offers men a performance enhancement for the bedroom. That's right. Get your dick on the gas, son. At BlueChew.com, you can get the world's first chewables with those same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, and it doesn't get any easier than this. You go to BlueChew.com, and an affiliated physician there will work with you to find the right dosage and active ingredient that's best for you and your body. As a reminder, these chewables from BlueChew.com can be taken on a full or an empty stomach. Oh, and did I mention that online physician consult, how much that is? I just free sound. Now you can't do that and go get prescribed Viagra and Cialis. You've got to pay for that in-person doctor visit, and it sure is awkward, isn't it? Now this is so much easier because it only takes a few minutes to connect with a BlueChew.com affiliated physician, and if you qualify, boom, you get prescribed online very quickly. So let's recap: no in-person doctor visit, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at a pharmacy. It ships directly to your door in discreet packaging. And it's cheaper because you skip that in-person doctor visit. The blue Chew chewables are made in the USA. You and your partner will love it. Chew it and do it. Why wouldn't you just try this? Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit bluechew.com and get your first order for free. Just use our promo code 83 weeks. You'll just pay $5 shipping. That's B L U E C H E W.com. And the promo code is 83 weeks to try it for free and just pay the $5 shipping. Blue Shoe has been with us since the beginning. See what all the fuss is about right now for yourself. And this stuff is over like Rover, not just with the listeners of this show, uh, but with the boys in the back, which Eric actually hates me to say, but you know what we're talking about. sweep sweeping the nation. Use that promo code 83Weeks. They give actually a lot of credit to Scott Casey uh, for helping with their training as well, who was an enhancement guy, probably best known for his run in the late eighties WWF. But after about eight weeks of training here, Booker's going to debut as GI bro for Ivan's, uh, Western wrestling Alliance live program. The character of course is a tie-in on the raging Gulf war and the WWF Sergeant slaughter angle. Funny enough. Uh, here's what's fun about that GI bro, obviously the name uh, borrows a little something from GI Joe, which was a big deal for kids going back for decades, but they definitely had a major resurgence in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, and I guess it, you know, right time, right place, right gimmick. Little did we know later they're gonna dust that off in later WCW, which is kind of fun. I suppose GI bro. What do you think of that creative
1: well, if that would, if somebody were to try that today, they would be slapped with a cease and desist from I think Mattel or Hasbro, whoever yeah. has the GI Joe trademark, because it would be according and Michael Dawkins can back back me up, our our gimmick attorney. Um, that would be considered um, confusingly similar, mm-hmm. and therefore an infringement upon an established mark. But back in the day, and again, you know, it was it was pretty much under the radar. It wasn't a national, per- you know, GI Bro was a is it was more of a local phenomenon than a national one. So it was allowed to exist under the radar. But even and it was Vince Russo, I think, who brought GI Bro back after I left in '99, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I'm surprised by then that there wasn't some sort of a cease and desist floating around. But times have changed.
0: While they're here, Skandar Akbar spots these guys and decides, Hey, we need to snatch them up for global. That's right. The global wrestling federation, the GWF, uh, of course, Skandar and Eddie Gilbert are involved there. And we know our pal Bruce Pritchard was as well. Gilbert is going to team Stevie Ray and Booker T together and call them the Ebony experience and together they win the GWF tag team titles on July 31st, 1992. And during their run with GWF, they actually held those tag titles a total of three times, but that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about when they left and they went to work for world championship wrestling, uh, in storyline, the two debut in a totally different way from what we know. It's been described as an unfortunate incident that never aired, but was taped on June 22nd, 1993. The idea was they supposedly, oh, just got out of prison and escape the chain gang. And they came to the ring wearing wrist and foot shackles along with their prisoner garb they're managed by Colonel Robert Parker. Yes. He's dressed like a fucking plantation owner. Obviously, uh, this did not make TV and, um, yeah, I, I I hate to interrupt you Conrad, but.
1: And I was wrong. You asked me early on when we started, when I first met them. And I said, 92, it would have been 93. And it was this incident that I remember so vividly. What you do remember this. Oh, I remember it. Oh yeah. I remember it It, it, again. It was at center stage and uh, it was a bill Watts, you know, vision. That's, that's, that's bill Watts. Now anybody that listens to the show or knows me knows that I have zero respect for Bill Watts. And I understand I'm friends with Jim Ross. I know Jim has a different relationship and had a different experience with Bill and probably knows, well, not probably, definitely knows Bill Watts better than I do. But based on my experience with Bill, um, I don't have a lot of respect for him. I never did. And I still don't, but In defense, I guess, I don't even want to call it defense. I guess it's understanding and maybe context. You know, Bill Watts came up and developed probably his instincts for professional wrestling back in the 60s and the 70s when the culture was different. Not better, for sure, it was different. Um, And I think Bill didn't have a clue of what the culture was in the nineties. And for God's sake, he certainly didn't understand Ted Turner. Ted Turner was a champion for the African American, African American community, not only in Atlanta, but Ted had a, Ted was very, Ted was woke before there was such a thing. And to, 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 to come to, Bring out Booker T and Steve Ray with Colonel Parker with that gimmick working for Turner broadcasting. I'm surprised Bill Watts got through that day without being fired. That was just, that was insane.
0: Well, it's, uh, I hate to be that guy, but Watts was gone by this point. Watts was gone in February. Uh-oh. So technically I'm putting this one on your doorstep, Mr. Bischoff. Whoa. Yeah. Bischoff. I mean, not Bischoff, but Watts was fired in like February. This happened in June. Now we know you weren't necessarily in charge of creative, but I got to imagine when somebody sees this for the first, when everybody sees this for the first time, whether it's in person or on the monitor, they have to all look around and say, I don't think we can fucking do this. Right.
1: All right, well, let me take this one back. I owe an apology to Bill Watts. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not joking about that. I, I feel badly. I was wrong. I was dead wrong. I should have done my research. I didn't. That's on me. Um, now, and formally, Mr. Watts, I apologize. I still don't like you. I still don't have respect for you, but I'm not going <laughs> to hang something on you you didn't do. <laughs> That being said, and I want the audience to know that I'm sincere about that. Um, now what's running through my mind is who was booking at that point. Right. Help me out here. I assume
0: it's probably a committee. Um, stupid ass Stan did a terrible job with the notes this week, or we would have had much better details. Uh, but I'm going to assume this is still the committee. We know for sure that Cornette's gone. But Kevin Sullivan still would have been there, and uh, Greg Gagne would I, have been there. I'm, I'm, and Mike Graham would have been there. But still, this is this is a rough idea.
1: This was either this was either Dusty Rhodes. Was, I think I'm pretty sure it was Dusty. Dusty yes, was back, yeah, yeah. There, it was. It was the committee, but it would have been Dusty. But by the way. <sighs> This is like the self-flagellation tour. Of here this <laughs> <laughs> but at, you know, no humor in this, all kidding aside, um, as the executive producer, the person who I wasn't in charge of booking, I wasn't, I was in charge of television. So there's some responsibility there on yours truly. Now I don't remember you know, as you pointed out, clearly, this never made television. I don't remember who hit full stop. Might have been all of us, right? As we saw it. Um, I think once once it manifested in the ring in center stage, um, and we saw that, I think everybody probably looked around and said, "Fuck no," right? But. Uh,
0: well, let's also
1: give some, Man, I'm, I'm still, you scrambled my brains with the fact that, that, but Watts I got it wrong there. about Bill Watts. He, I mean, I know I do feel bad. That's really, that's, that's horseshit on my
0: part. Let me mention too, though, there, there was a precedent and boy, this is a shitty precedent, but J Y D another African-American wrestler had been coming to the ring with a chain for a long time. So it didn't. That was his gimmick. You know, he was the junkyard. Yeah, but Con-
1: Conrad, you're being kind here. And I appreciate that. Well,
0: here's what I mean though. I'm saying, I think there is probably, uh, okay. What has worked before? Well, let's get them chains. Okay. But then when you put the prisoner garb on them and you think, well, there was nails and there was a prisoner, but then when you put the old white guy dressed like an old Southern gentleman that now it's like, Whoa, with way too many ingredients individually any of those might could have worked but when you put it all together this is not a fucking good look right no
1: and that's that. i agree with you i mean that's a good analysis i think had um booker t and steve rey steve Ray been introduced as former prisoners i think the fact that they you know escaped the chain gang and showed up for work in a prison outfit that's a whole nother kind of yeah, silly lapse of creative judgment but you know the the disconnect there is beyond the pale but to throw colonel parker in there dressed up like a southern plantation that was absurd yeah so wherever and man i you just took you just
2: i'm fucked up
1: and i'm I got to be more, I got to, I got to be Stan, you and I are going to be spending a lot more time together before these shows, my friend, um, for my own, (laughs) for my own self-preservation because I feel really horrible about this, but whoever came up with that idea, wherever that thought originated from, that was a real boneheaded move.
0: Yeah. I mean, listen, it's gotta be on the short list of worst ideas ever, but let's also mention Even though it starts bad, it doesn't end poorly. They're going to have an incredible run. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Uh, Fuller has said that Sid actually saved the jobs of, of all three guys because of how upset Turner was. Let's talk about, you know, the fallout from that day. I know you said you remember the visual and everybody hits the full stop. Did you hear from Ted or was there chirping backstage or what can you tell us about the fallout from this rather unfortunate debut. I don't think there, there was no fallout that,
1: that stands out in my mind. And I think it was probably because once we saw it and realized what was going on creatively, there was a full stop and it never did make television. Um, so as a result of it, not making television, it didn't bubble up as they say to people that, like Ted Turner or others, or Bill Shaw, who is vice president of human resources at, uh, at Turner Broadcasting, who was, by the way, in charge of WCW at that time. Sure, He was the guy where, I mean, Ted Turner wasn't involved in WCW, um, but Bill Bill Shaw did have direct control of WCW now. And as vice president of human resources, one would think if anybody would have come down hard on us, it would have been bill but i think because um we we killed it realized how bad it was and inappropriate it was and it never made television therefore it didn't have any real ramifications
0: let's talk a little bit about what happens after this of course we're going to instead rename these guys harlem heat booker is going to be renamed cole lash will be renamed kane and it's kind of fun to think that there was a cane in wrestling before Glenn Jacobs. Uh, I like the Harlem Heat name though. You know Harlem uh, obviously had a, a reputation as being a a rough area, and I don't know heat the connotation from wrestling. And you know we've got flames all over their gear, and I guess you know it could get pretty steamy there in the summer. And you don't want the heat. I like it Harlem Heat as a name. That's that's much better. Uh, their first matches come at the July Disney MGM tapings that were set to air in September. Uh they actually wound up debuting in August on Worldwide. They get a win over a couple of enhancement guys after hitting a power bomb elbow off the top rope. So it's a combination top rope double team maneuver. And from the very beginning, they're working a very physical style. Uh of course, the Steiners and the Road Warriors and the Nasty Boys. They had all become staples in WCW at one point or another, working a very physical style. What do you think of their work the first time you saw it, Eric?
1: Truthfully, I wasn't analyzing work rate so much back then. You know, I I was more impressed and more interested, frankly, right or wrong, good or bad, uh, in characters and the ability to do promos because I, I felt like if WCW was going to gain any ground, um, and I'll get criticized for this, and, and possibly I deserve it, um, I felt like the biggest challenge in, in WCW wasn't so much the work rate in the ring as it was characters that resonated with the audience. And I am so fucked up over that comment I made about Bill Watts and being so wrong that I can't help now I I've got two I got two sides of my brain you know the one side one side of my brain is reacting to what you're saying and I'm listening to every word but over here this side of my brain is going who 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 was responsible for that and I'm not trying to pin it on anybody that's not yeah. my, I'm I'm just trying to put it into its accurate context because I got it so wrong at the head of the show mm, something tells me I, it's just a cuz now I'm digging I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring up Oli Anderson's name here because now that we're talking about this and I'm replaying it in my head and I'm going back to how many years ago that was yeah. almost 30 years ago now. Yeah. Um, I am thinking that was a Oli Anderson inspiration in terms of bringing them out with Colonel Parker. So I know Oli was a big, 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 big supporter of Colonel Parker. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there as a probable, not a possible but a probable. What
0: was but the anyway, relationship with Sid? You know, it feels like the guys were pretty tight with Sid, not just on camera but behind the scenes when we hear that you know, Sid was a big advocate for him after that incident and even by August 93 they're working with Sid even in brawls with top guys like Sting and Flair. Was Sid a big advocate for them as best you recall?
1: Ab- absolutely was, and I think it goes beyond that if uh and this is again, I'm sorry I wish I had a more uh, detailed memory of 30 years ago, but I do recall conversations. I'm not sure if it was Booker or Sid or or, or Stevie, but I think that uh, the Harlem Heat actually lived with Sid for a while while they were trying to make their transition and getting into WCW. So they were, they were beyond just professionally close. I think there was a, a pretty strong relationship there. If my memory serves me correctly.
0: Let's talk about how crazy this is. They have the debut that never airs in June. They record in July some tapings in MGM. They air in August. On Saturday night in August, they're in brawls with Sting and Flair and Sid. And that same month, unbelievably, they're on the set when the Shockmaster incident happens. <laughs> talk about an introduction to the wrestling business. Of course, you all remember it was a, a moment from Flair for the Gold. You've got Sting and Davy Boy as guests. They're gonna be confronted by Sid Vicious, Colonel Robert Parker, and Harlem Heat. They're gonna to demand to know who the mystery partner is. Of course, you know what happens from there. In hindsight, is that top ten funniest things that have ever happened in wrestling, the whole shockmaster debut? I think it's funny
1: now. It certainly wasn't funny then. It certainly was. And by the way, it was dusty and only booking. Now that you brought up Shockmaster, it's all coming back to me. It's early in the morning here, but uh, yeah, it's all coming back to me now. Um, yeah, it was hilarious now, or it is hilarious now. It was horrible then. and And even now we can say it's funny and it is in some respects. It's one of those classic moments in professional wrestling that will live in infamy, I guess. And people will be talking about it and laughing at it you know, for decades to come. I mean, what, it happened almost 30 years ago, and we're still laughing about it, Yeah, right? Um, But I also, you know, as a performer or former performer at this point, and I feel for for Fred. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, even to the, now, to his credit, you know, Fred's out there when, you know, pre COVID he's making appearances as a shock master. Yeah. He did he's, one for me. He's making money with it. Yeah. So maybe I feel worse about it for him than he does. I don't know, but yeah, it was a show. Oh God, what a shit show of a moment
0: that was. Were you, were you there? I mean, you're there on set when it happened. Oh yeah. I was
1: the executive producer. I remember, I remember where I was standing when he came through the wall. Yeah.
0: So you got, you had your eyes on him when he fell.
1: Oh yeah. Does your,
0: does your asshole pucker? Does your stomach drop?
1: No, it's just, I felt so, I just felt bad. I felt bad for dusty. Um, You know, and a lot went into that, by the way, you know, flare for the gold is, you know, we, we look at it now and it's kind of semi cheesy, but back in the day, that was a big deal. It was a damn big deal and a lot of money. It was an expensive deal, you know, to in a way to help get Rick over even more than he already was. Oh. Um, that's where Fifi came about. Yeah.
0: You know,
1: Fifi, another marriage made in yep. WCW, ultimately. I mean, it took a while to get there, right? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they certainly went the, a,
0: a long way around the freaking block, didn't they? Well, at the time, they both had, you know, other marriages. So it took a while, but yeah, we got yeah, to get through those other <laughs> marriages, the, the legal entanglements yeah.
1: that you know, come along with, you know, existing marriages. So yeah, you got to kind of work around the obvious, but anyway, I'm making light of it. But my point was, um, and by the way, Fifi, you did a great job. Yes. Um, we love you, Fifi. the The effort and the time and the expense that went into, I mean, it took hours to set that thing up because it was a traveling set right it was a big damn deal and then to have some come crashing through the wall was yeah i feel bad even now
3: adfreeshows.com is the place to be as a wrestling fan if you like current product we have something for you maybe you love nostalgia again then you are really going to enjoy the interactive experiences live events, and all your favorite podcasts on video, including the brand new Kurt Angle show at adfreeshows.com. Just this week, Conrad added another ad-free shows exclusive weekly podcast with Chris Hero and is already getting rave reviews. Check out Chris sharing his thoughts on the recent evolution of NXT. Once they went live week to week, they started losing focus of what they wanted to do um, or what they wanted from the talent rather because the initial purpose of NXT was to have a television show to get talent ready for the main roster. They ended up into this lucrative deal with Full Sail and they got on Hulu and then the network came and now now they capitalized on that niche fan as opposed to the casual fan that loves the the main wwe superstars chris drops other bombshells on this episode as well and he will be back each and every week so sign up today at adfreeshows.com and become a member now at any tier and receive a custom rss feed link for all your apps Not ready to subscribe? Then simply go to adfreeshows.com and listen to the show free each week. So what are you waiting on? Join the family. Go to adfreeshows.com right now and gain immediate access to everything mentioned and so much more. Of course, all ad-free. So become a part of the fastest growing wrestling community today at adfreeshows.com. Well, check this out. Again, the
0: regrettable taping is in June. They they tape some matches in July. They air in August. They're on Clash of the Champions. Uh, they're on Saturday night running off the, the main eventers. And now, come September, they're in War Games, the main event at Fall Brawl against Sting, Davey Boy, Dustin Rhodes, and the Shockmaster. It's pretty incredible uh Booker/Cole at the time is going to submit to Shockmaster's bear hug in the match. Uh they're the, the following month they're going to be working Halloween Havoc. They're not going over here. Um they're going to be in a losing effort again to the Shockmaster. This time he's with Ice Train and Charlie Norris. Uh and they're going to be teaming with uh the Equalizer on their side. But Shockmaster makes Cole submit or not submit, but uh he goes down with a, a bear hug into a power slam. So, even in spite of this regrettable debut from the Shockmaster, it feels like we've talked a lot about regrettable debuts today. He's getting solid victories over what's going to be a WWE Hall of Famer in Booker T. Boy, if we had this all to do over again, we probably would, right? You think? Maybe. I mean, yeah. this, this is Dusty trying to make chicken salad with Uncle Fred, right?
1: Well, yes. And, you know, let's be, let's be uh, transparent here. There was a uh, familial tie. Yeah. He was part of the family. I don't remember. Now I think Fred was Michelle, Dusty's wife, Michelle, Fred was her brother. If I got that right.
0: Yeah. uh, Uncle Fred is a a nod to that's the way Cody always referred to him. Uncle Fred. So yeah. Yeah. He's looking out for a brother-in-law and
1: and, and let's also be clear. I don't think that's, yes, he was. And look, everybody did it, you know? Well, it's Burn also worth it.
0: mentioning too. He was featured on WWF TV for a long time as tugboat. And then eventually, right. you know, teaming with, with John Tenta. I mean, so when you're rubbing up against Hulk Hogan and then later teaming with earthquake and you're in the title hunt, I mean, you had been featured on the big show because no matter what anybody says, and Lord knows we all love WCW here in that era the WWF was the a show WCW was the B show. So anyone fresh off of their TV who had been in a prominent spot, well, we're going to try to feature them. And unfortunately they came up with a terrible idea in the Shockmaster, master and it was somehow even worse in execution, but it didn't negate the fact that the guy was over on the other channel. So you're going to try to do what you can to sa- to save the thing.
1: Yeah. In 1993, WCW was a pimple. On a, on a hamster's ass yeah. compared to WWF. No doubt about that. And yeah, tugboat was a big damn deal in WWF. So it's not that I'm pointing out or, or trying to blame Dusty or, or accuse him of nepotism. Right. N- nepotism would be, Hey, let's call Fred. I know he's out of work. He's never really been in professional wrestling. You're not the most athletic some bitch, but he's a big guy. So let's bring him in. We'll make him the shock master. It wasn't that. You it just was, described Eric you just Watts, by out. the
0: way. I'm sorry. You just described Eric Watts, by the way. Now that was not episode. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, if you're going to give an example, there it was. Yeah, that—that's
1: uh, not what you know. Fred was, no. or Shockmaster was.
0: So, okay, we've cleared that up.
1: There was a there was a credible reason to bring him in, but you, as you pointed out, the gimmick was horrible. It was just a horrible gimmick.
0: At Battle Bowl on November 20th, they try to split up the Harlem Heat. Here, of course, this is randomized partners, so it'll be Kane and Charlie Nor- Norris. Uh, losing their match and Davy Boy Smith and Cole losing their match, but at least they're on pay per view and being used. And given that they were just in global and some independent shots, this still feels like a major deal. I also want to mention the November 30th taping of the WCW Saturday Night Show at Center Stage had Ric Flair defeat Booker T with a figure four in a 10 minute main event. Uh, Shockmaster is going to stop Kane from interfering to allow Flair to win. So it might not be a win, but anytime you get to work flair in the main event on TV, that's a hell of a rub, right? That's a definite rub.
1: No, no. And I think it also is a reflection of dusty's, um, how dusty valued, you know, Harlem. Heat at that point, I mean, he was clearly, you know, you can look at the pattern here that you just described during the latter half of this year or the year that we're talking about 93, all of a sudden, you know, you've got Dusty Rhodes that's got big things in mind and in store for Harlem Heat.
0: Around this same time, Sid Vicious is fired for his unfortunate altercation with Arn Anderson. That has to pose a threat to Harlem Heat's job security, even if not in reality, at least in the paranoia of a wrestler's mind. Hey, man, this guy was a big advocate for us and he was a top guy. And now he's out because he stabbed a guy am I going to get in heat here? I mean, I think that would be natural thinking. Uh, Do you know, do you know if there was ever a conversation with Harlem heat about that, or are they just trying to fly solo and figure it out on their own?
1: No, I I think by the, by the time that all went down with Sid and when uh, Sid and Arn and Sid getting fired and all that Harlem heat had developed their own relationships. They, They were credible. Yeah. They were, they were just fine on their own. They would not have been, you know, blamed or suffered any consequences directly or indirectly as a result of Sid. They they had proven themselves. They had developed their own levels of respect individually and as a team, as professionals, as people. So I I, I yeah I understand what you're saying. You know, wrestling talent, especially at that time mm-hmm. in that environment, it was a shark tank. Um, typically, were very paranoid. I don't think Harlem heat was at all. They're pretty confident in themselves, but like I said, more important than their confidence, they had just, they had developed their own relationships and, and reputation and they were not affected by it at all.
0: Well, the only reason I bring that up is because Starcade 93 was originally going to have a main event of, um, Sid versus Vader, but with Sid out, they slide Ric Flair into that spot. And interestingly enough, Harlem heat, Missed arcade ninety three. They're not on the card, and once they were on TV, this is the first pay per view they missed. But they are back for Super Brawl four in February of ninety four. This time they're on the winning side, defeating the team of Thunder and Lightning. Eric, what's your favorite Thunder and Lightning match?
1: As you said that, I'm going. Oh God, he's going to ask me about Thunder and Lightning. <laughs> and I can't. I'm not even going to be able to fake my way through
0: that. I don't know who was it. Uh, nobody cares. Let's move on. Uh, let's also talk about, uh, the, the team doesn't appear at the next two pay-per-view spring stampede 94 has been talked about for a long time as being one of the more underrated, uh, pay-per-views from WCW of this era. They're also off of slamboree, uh, during much of the summer, they're even sparsely used in the company on August 6th at an episode of WCW Saturday night. They defeat Brad and Brian Armstrong. But before the match, they're on a cell phone, speaking to a mystery advisor. And, uh, at the Saturday night tapings that would air on August 27th, Harlem heat, do a promo with mean gene saying their advisor would help them get to the top and they would only confirm that it was a, he on October 10th in Gainesville. The late Johnny attitude was introduced as Harlem heat's mystery manager and the segment never made air. He's the guy who founded micro championship wrestling. Do you remember this idea? Johnny attitude, maybe managing Harlem heat,
1: Johnny green. That was, he was also AKA Johnny green. Um, no, man, I don't remember that. And maybe it's because it didn't make television. Right. And I wasn't involved in it. You know, certainly wasn't involved in the booking process, but uh, that's interesting. Another in, 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 moment of enlightenment here for me this morning, I feel like I must've. I don't know what I was doing in 1993, but all of this feels like fresh material for me. But Johnny, <laughs> I actually ended up working ironically, and I didn't even know that. This is so fascinating. I ended up doing a reality show with Johnny Green in Micro Championship Wrestling for uh, True TV um, several years ago. I did not know while I was working with Johnny doing that reality show that he was involved in WCW, at least in that particular angle. So, no, I, I did not know that. Where the hell would Johnny, Johnny Green would have had to come from Mike Graham. Johnny Green was a Florida guy. So was Mike Graham. He kind of in that same zip code, drank the same water. Um, there's something in the water in that Tampa area. They just keep growing wrestling talent. Yes, they there. do. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that Johnny Green would have been a manifestation of Mike Graham. But uh, no, I did not know that uh, at one point. Johnny attitude was, um, involved with Harlem heat.
0: Thankfully we get a much better treat at the October 30th worldwide tapings that would ultimately air on November 26th, Harlem heat appear with Sherry telling Tony Schiavone. She was now known as sister Sherry and not sensuous Sherry. That's because by that TV taping plans had already of course, been laid in motion to switch Sherry, to be the manager and uh, at the li- the live clash of the champions on November 16th from Jacksonville, Florida, Harlem Heat would defeat the Nasty Boys at around the 10-minute mark when Stevie Ray pinned Jerry Sags. The match ended when after Sags hit the flying elbow smash, Booker T hit an ax handle off the top rope and put Stevie Ray on top as both Brian knobs and the referee were distracted by Sherry Martell who appeared ringside during the closing moments of the bout. Sherry and heat revealed she had been the person they'd been speaking to for months on their cell phone. So a bit of an about face. It's not a, he it's a, she, and it's sister Sherry. What'd you like about this pairing of Sherry with, uh, the Harlem heat here?
1: I don't think there's any one thing. And I I've, you know, we've gone back as I've reviewed shows, you know, doing this podcast now for a couple of years and whenever we review a show or I review a show, um to try to do my research and unfortunately I didn't have a show to review for this one so oh, I st- I'm still shook up over your fucking that <laughs> up so bad but I'm making excuses for myself and there is no fucking excuse Eric there is none but um when I go back and watch shows th- that we do and I see Heat and Sister Sherry Sherry Martel it's some of my favorite stuff. Their promos are they, you know, we talk about it a lot. People say, Oh, they have great chemistry. Well, what does chemistry mean? It can mean different things. It can be physicality. You know, you have great chemistry in a match because you know what each other are thinking and it just fits and it's fluid and it's fun. But in promos, I love watching Sherry with Harlem heat. They played off of each other. Oftentimes, especially when you've got three people in a promo and Particularly back in the early '90s, mid '90s, even into the late '90s, when you get two, you know three people in a promo, and then you've got an announcer there—a I main gene or Tony Schiavone or whomever. Now you got four people, yep. you know, and you're trying to crank out a promo in a minute and thirty or a minute or maybe two minutes if you're lucky, and everybody's talking over everybody because they don't have a rhythm, they don't have a, they don't have the chemistry, right? A flow. Um, but when you go back and you watch Harlem Heat. Sherry Martel interviews, you'll very rarely find one where they're stepping on each other. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they rehearsed it, it's just because they had this natural flow in a natural rhythm. And someone told me once, I don't know who it was, it doesn't matter, talk in the context of what makes a good actor or actress. And one of the distinctions this individual told me was, you know, the sign of a really good actor or actress is that they're just, and this is so true in wrestling. And I, and I think it's really um, particularly important to point out with relations with regard to Harlem heat, a good wrestling promo is two people reacting to each other. Yeah. So if I'm, if I'm doing a promo with you, Conrad, and you're my opponent I'm actually listening to what you're saying and how you're saying it. And I'm reacting to that as opposed to, okay, Conrad's going to say this and this and this. And as soon as he says that, that's my cue to go. Right. That's, that's not acting and reacting. That's just memorizing dialogue and that's not acting. But when you have people who naturally, and that's what I'm trying to point out here who have the natural ability to act and react, then you get the kind of flow and rhythm that makes an average promo seem really, really good and makes a good promo outstanding. And that was a natural gift. I think not only between Stevie Ray and Booker T, but Stevie Ray, Booker T and Sherry, because they were all equally talented. Now, I I think in a promo, I, I would probably tip, Tip it to Sherry. You know, Sherry was exceptional for my taste, right? Okay, just for me personally. I love, I love her voice. She had this really badass, you know, two packs of Camel and a bottle of Scotch a day kind of grrr, voice in her. You know, I love that. And she was, you know, I've, 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 I thought she was sexy as hell. She was attractive, but she was also tough as hell. Yes so she just had all of these different attributes but when you put her in with Booker T and Stevie Ray she just fit so well in their promos just flowed it was just great rhythm
0: one of the criticisms i've seen online about the pairing is that it was um antiquated thinking that a white woman with two managing or with rather is the phrasing two black men was heat in the south brother uh, and I, I never really even thought of that as a kid that didn't even cross my mind. And I grew up as a kid raised in Alabama, but we would hear that same thing years later when the WWF would put Sonny with Farouk, who, you know, was Ron Simmons, of course, that perhaps someone on think, the booking you, committee you, thought, you,
1: But Conrad, do you think it's because it's true? Or do you think it's just because there are people out there that feel the need to spew that kind of shit? Well, I, I didn't think I, until you just said that it never that crossed your mind to me. And yep. I, by the way, I grew up in the sixties as a kid in Detroit, right? I watched the, I watched the riots from the rooftop of my parents' garage. So yeah, I, I'm I, with you on this one. I, well,
0: here's the thing. I think I would normally give the benefit of the doubt, but knowing that we're not too many months removed from the whole plantation owner and chains debacle, I think you could say, well, maybe somebody thought that. But as a kid, never crossed my mind. And and to your point as a Detroit man, never crossed your mind. And here's something else that I've always been curious about. And you may not know the exact particulars, but around this same time, when Sherry starts managing them is when they stopped being known as, as Cole and Kane. And now they're Booker T and Stevie Ray. Any insight as to why that happened and why now it would have happened? Certainly it feels like, Hey, it's time for a fresh coat of paint we've got Sherry, maybe that's the right time, but it's interesting to me that we go from Cole and Kane who've been established. I mean, just imagine all of a sudden, if, you know, Dolph Ziggler shows up on TV with a new manager and says, okay, now my name's Billy. That's a little weird, right? But it, by today's standards, it would
1: certainly be weird but yeah. back in, back in the early nineties, you know, a fresh coat of paint, you know, you, you, you Rather than taking, you know, your talent to the best body shop, you know, in Atlanta and having the guy who's known for custom paint, you just go down to, you know, the local hardware store and buy a can of cheap spray paint and start all over again. You know, not a lot of thought went into a lot of stuff, you know, when it came to repackaging characters back then, it was just, oh, that's not working. Let's try this or that's working pretty good. Maybe this will work better not a lot of thought went into it, but I don't think, I don't think there's any correlation between, and I'm not sure why they did it But again, not to try to get myself off the hook here. I wasn't involved in creative, but right. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think there would have been any correlation. I personally think Booker T and Stevie Ray sounds better than Colin Kane. Oh yeah. I just do. Um, And maybe that was it. I don't know. I'd
0: have to, you know, Colin Kane sounds I, a little someday, more gimmicky. Someday
1: when I cross that threshold, it'll be one of the questions I ask Dusty.
0: <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's damn true. No, I'm not just talking about the fact that the Kurt Angle Show will start for free this Sunday. Super Sunday. Anywhere you enjoy podcasts. I'm talking about what you've heard me say on the podcast for years. Don't take my word for it. Check out Mark from Middletown, Ohio. He says, everyone was extremely helpful and kind to me from the first day all the way until we closed. I always felt like everyone I interacted with had one goal, and that was to save me money. I couldn't recommend them enough. Now I can finally say I proved my wife wrong. A wrestling podcaster really can save you a ton of money. Just don't tell her I said that. We helped Mark save a ton of cash. He gave us a five-star review. We made it fast and easy. And as a reminder, I'm in Alabama. He's in Ohio. We're doing this in more than 40 states right now. Yes, including your state. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And I'm telling you, if you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? It sounds too good to be true, but First Family Mortgage can do it for you Right now at savewithconrad.com. Let's talk about, uh, the great success they're about to be embarking upon. I mean, with Sherry managing them, well, let's fast forward the end of 94. They tape a match, uh, for WCW Saturday night that airs on January 14th, 1995, where the Harlem heat pick up a win over stars and stripes, which is the Patriot and Marcus Alexander Bagwell And it's for the tag titles, the Harlem heat officially become your tag champs on January 14th, 1995 for the very first time, but it's their first of an incredible 10 championship reigns. I don't think that gets talked about enough, Eric, with all the great tag teams that have come through WCW, whether it's even back when it was Crockett. Certainly people still talk about the rock and roll express and the midnight express and the great matches that they brought out. And then in the new era, of course, people are going to still talk about the Steiner brothers, but 10 tag title runs for Harlem heat. That's incredible. It's incredible. And I think it's one of the reasons they ended up in the WWE hall of fame. Yes, sir. Um, And by the way, one of the first tag teams to do so without ever being in the WWF, because we never saw Harlem heat in the WWE. Uh, I just think that's pretty special that, and now Booker T two-time hall of famer, very deservedly. So
1: yeah. No, and I I think that run that Harlem Heat had in WCW was more than significant. I think it should be talked. And I think so much, you know, and a lot of it was by this time in 94, I think Ric Flair was booking, by the way. Um, So much happened in such a very short period of time. If you look at really 94 to 97, it's 36 months. Look at everything that happened during that 36 months of WCW's history it's not excusable but it's understandable why that sometimes that accomplishment you know with Harlem Heat kind of gets lost in the shuffle because so you know, I mean throughout the, the mid to late 90s just so much happened so quickly yeah. not only in WCW but in WWE as well so it's like I say it's regrettable that people don't often realize it, or it's not commented upon as much as it deserves to be, but it is the reason why Harlem heat, despite the fact that I think it was Vince Russo said that, or was it Dave Meltzer? No, it was Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer came out and said that, uh, Stevie Ray really didn't deserve to be in the WWE hall of fame.
0: What? (laughs) That's a weird take. Um, let's talk about who they're working with next though. Uh, the nasty boys, it feels like this was a natural pairing, They had a ton of matches back and forth. Um, they're even going to flip flop the titles, but you and I had a lot of fun years ago watching uncensored 95 (laughs) where we saw that Tupelo concession stand brawl. I mean, this is a, a nod to the original concession stand brawl where the mustard was everywhere. They even used mustard here. Meltzer says this was the worst concession stand brawl in history, but it's almost inherent that a concession stand brawl is, uh, is going to be good. The, the match only got two and a half stars, but I do like, you know, some of the silliness of professional wrestling. And that one worked for me. I, I always liked Harlem heat's chemistry with the nasty boys. what do you think of those four together and what they were able to do?
1: Well, you got four really tough individuals. I mean, say what you will, you know, about the nasty boys. And I've always considered both Brian and Jerry very good friends of mine. I don't see him as much now as I used to, but these are two guys that, you know, my, one of my first days on the job back in 1987 in the AWA, you know, I went out and had beers with Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags at the old Calhoun beach club on Lake Calhoun, just uh, on the edge of Minneapolis where Vern used to tape his shows. So I've known those guys for a long time. And, and I, I, I only point that out because of what I'm about to say is that, you know, when it came to, you know, technical abilities and, and, you know, in ring skill, that's not what they were there for. Right. They were there because they were incredibly tough. They would put themselves through any kind of abuse necessary. And, oh, by the way, have a blast doing it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's probably that they enjoyed that as much as you and I might enjoy going out for a great dinner. Um, but they were tough as hell. Nasty boys were, they were willing to put themselves through anything necessary to get the reaction they needed from the crowd. And Oh, by the way, so was Harlem heat. These guys were tough as hell. And I think that's why the chemistry was so good because they respected each other. Yeah, It, it wasn't, you know, pulling teeth, trying to get these guys to go out there and put it all on, on the table and, and give their bodies to the match, so to speak, because they four of them enjoyed doing it. I mean, it was, have to, I remember you know, I, I've seen matches between those two, and I remember specifically seeing it in person where they're out there pounding the piss out of each other, and they got a kayfabe effect that they're kind of laughing. Yeah, They're having fun doing it. So I think that was the reason why the chemistry was so good, is they respected each other, and they had fun beating the piss out of each other, and all four of them were tough enough physically to take it.
0: And check out how fun this little note is. It was announced that the Nasty Boys would get one final shot at Harlem Heat's tag titles. The title shot would come at Slamboree. But before that could happen, Harlem Heat won the titles back from the Nasty Boys. You heard me right. On May 3rd, at a TV taping set to air on June 24th, with help some from some interference, Harlem Heat won the tag titles back. Gary Michael Capetta announced Heat as the champions, but not the new champions, indicating there had not been a title change. But that's because they didn't lose the belts until May twenty first at Slambury. This is very much the era where WCW is still taping TV weeks and sometimes months in advance. And maybe that didn't make sense if you were there live, but if you're watching on TV, it all made perfect sense. The Nasty Boys defeated the tag champs Harlem Heat to win the titles at Slamboree in ten fifty two when Jerry Sags pins Booker T following the running power slam slash flying elbow smash double team maneuver. It's uh, it's kind of fun to go back and think about how we used to have to do things out of order, right? It's
1: not kind of fun. I just got vertigo listening to it, and <laughs> it was a real challenge. Yeah, um, it was, but it was okay. We're either going to—I used to call it gang shoot. Um, occasionally it would come out as gang bang, but it. I, <laughs> That was never appropriate. And people, you know, if you're talking about, if you're in a restaurant talking about what you had to do next week and you were saying, yeah, we got to go to Disney and we got to gangbang a whole bunch of stuff to get it in the can, and people uh, would look at you like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> Who yeah. are you? But um, so I checked myself and started calling it gang shooting, sure. which in today's world means something different altogether. Yeah. But yeah, when you'd go down there, and you, we had to do it that way, by the way, because it was expensive. The, the cost of shooting at Disney on a per episode basis, if we were going to go down there and shoot every two weeks, for example, the cost of that, of doing so, would have been beyond prohibitive. Mm-hmm. It would not have ever worked from a, from a financial perspective. But if you could go down there for <clears throat> a month or two weeks or whatever the window was and shoot three or four shows a day, All of a sudden, the economies of scale would kick in, and now you could actually afford to do it without really increasing your budget significantly over what you were doing when typically we would go out on the road and we would shoot two shows at a TV taping. Um, I don't think we ever shot three back then, but we'd go down to Disney, and now it's like, okay, we're going to shoot five shows today. Sometimes we shot more. We'd start at 9 o'clock in the morning and shoot till 5 o'clock in the afternoon because then union you know, issues became a problem and everything got more expensive. So we'd try to be done by five o'clock, but we'd start early in the morning and just shoot. It was just matches, it was, it was matches, 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 matches without a lot of context. And every hour you would bring in a new crowd or 45 minutes, you'd bring in a new crowd. So they didn't, they had that new crowd, didn't see everything that took place before. So there was no continuity. There was no context for the live audience. But it didn't matter to them because they weren't really wrestling fans anyway. They were there as a part of the Disney experience, and they were there because they wanted to see a real live television show actually being produced. And then, then you had all the, the talent that was associated with that. people, even though they weren't wrestling fans, kind of reckoned, you know, they knew who Ric Flair was, they knew who Hulk Hogan was, they knew who whomever was. Um, so it worked in that context. That was the good, the good news. We were able to shoot, increase the production values, make everything look 100% better, actually have real people in the crowd that were awake and not drunk drinking wine out of a brown paper bag like we had at Center Stage. All of that was really great. The downside was, from a booking perspective and a continuity perspective, it was a fucking nightmare.
0: Complicated. Just
1: a nightmare. When you're shooting a month in advance and you're going to put that stuff in the can, and you're going to get back on the plane, go back to Atlanta, knowing full well that in all likelihood somebody's going to get hurt, yep. somebody's going to, you're going to have a contract dispute, somebody's going to get arrested, somebody's going to get stabbed, any number of things could could happen that would make all of that content that you just shot either worthless or a real challenge at best. But that was the. Give and take at the time.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about the next piece of storyline business here. Harlem Heat become tweeners of sorts and enter a feud with Colonel Robert Parker's Stud Stable of Dirty Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck, eventually dropping the titles to them on an episode of Saturday Night on July twenty second, ninety five, thanks to interference from Parker. But this is the era where Parker and Sherry start carrying on a love affair. And Parker eventually leaves the stud stable in favor of heat all in order to be with Sherry. Eventually the heat regained the tag titles at fall brawl 95. Their third reign only lasted one day though, because they lost the titles on September 18th, 95 on nitro to the American males, the American males, American males, American males, American, Males, Eggwell American and Scotty Riggs, right? American. You're going to do the dance American males. American, come on, Eric, do the dance American males, (laughs) not happening. Uh, Harlem heat regains the tag titles nine days later at a WCW Saturday night taping. So that makes four title reigns so far. What's up with the, uh, the, the very brief title run here with American males. Just, Hey, let's give them a big win on TV. Let's drop, you know, have somebody drop a belt on TV and that'll be good. Or is there more thought to it than that?
1: You know, I don't know. That was uh, at that point that I f- think that was a Ric Flair. Mm. I think Rick was booking at that point. He Could was high on long. Bagwell
0: in that era, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. He was high was on you- Bagwell in that era, wasn't he? I thought Rick was. Maybe not.
1: I. You know, I mean, Marcus was really Dusty was very high okay. on Bagwell. I mean that's where, one of the reasons why I think Bagwell got into WCW and was featured so prominently early on. I'm trying to recall, you know, Rick's take on Bagwell. I don't, I don't recall him being really excited about. You know, Rick was very excited about Alex Wright, for example. You know, and there were certain people. You know, Rick Flair loved Ming. Um, there was some certain people that I can remember just off the top of my head that Rick was very excited about. Um, but I, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't recall that he was that. Um, hot on bagwell he may have been he wasn't anti bagwell for sure i don't remember that either but i don't think he was exceptionally uh excited about bagwell
0: let's get to uh the next uh, big moment here the harlem heat dropped the tag titles to a couple of guys named sting and lex luger on the january 22nd 1996 nitro in las vegas we recently just covered uh this uh very special moment uh, on the 25th anniversary For the first half of 96, they're going to hold on to the belts. And the biggest moment of Harlem heat's career happens on June 24th, 96, when Harlem heat get a win over Luger and Sting to begin their fifth reign and listen, no disrespect to the American males or the nasty boys or anybody before. But when you beat sting and Lex Luger, you're made men in WCW. Are you not? Absolutely
1: solidify their position, not only in WCW politically and, and solidifying their position on the roster. And again, I, I can't overemphasize how much respect that Booker T and Stevie Ray had, from everybody on the roster. I mean, yeah. not only were they great in the ring and great characters and great on promos, all of that, that it's almost a given, right. you know, when you get to the level of being able to beat a sting and a Luger, you have to assume those things are all true but the level of respect that they had in the locker room was you know pretty impressive
0: um yeah yeah let's uh, let's talk about the next little wrinkle here that I found really interesting the next two title changes were at a series of house shows in late July the steiners will beat heat on July 24th in cincinnati to win the titles but 3 days later in Dayton Ohio heat went them back and that makes six title reigns now so far for the Harlem heat. Is this the era where you're trying to boost your house show business? I mean, you're obviously talking about it a lot on TV and promoting where you're going to be next and all of that, but you want to give this feel of realism that anything could happen. It doesn't just happen on TV, right?
1: Yeah, that was it. And, and I'd heard that strategy or philosophy a couple times, you know, over the, by this point, where are we? 1995 still.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're in 96 now. 96.
1: So uh, by this point I'd been in the business for nine years. And during that nine year period of time, um, I, I didn't hear that conversation too much in AWA because I, I never was in the room, you know, when it came to live event strategies or booking strategies. But even by the time I got to WCW, um, after I'd been in WCW for a while, just in a matter of conversation, you know, not that I was involved in the business side of these discussions, but after work, you know, going out with Dusty or Oli or Rick or, or anybody else. And it was always like, wow, what do we do to get the house show business up? And every so often it was always like, well, you know, it's because we put so much emphasis on TV. Nothing really happens that's important on television. So every couple of years, somebody would, pull that out of the uh, you know out of the deck of cards to try again and start having title changes in, in at the venues and it makes sense you know i mean it's it's a it's a sound logical approach to storytelling you know in the live event business when when the audience is conditioned to understand that nothing really is important is going to happen unless it happens sometimes it'll happen on television because title changes on television were sometimes a rarity, but really all of the good stuff is going to happen on pay-per-view. Well, psychologically you're kind of been conditioned to look at a house show as, yeah, why go? You may want to see some of your favorite talent in person or just hang out with some friends or watch some live wrestling, but you've been conditioned to believe that nothing really significant is going to happen at a house show. Right. So yeah, we would pull that you know, card out of the deck and, and try to play it every once in a while. In addition, you know, one of the other things that was done a couple of times to try to boost the house show business, in addition to changing titles, like you just um, covered was uh, setting a camera crew and showing an angle or an incident of some sort, whether it's a title change or otherwise, you know, showing some kind of an incident that happened, you know, at a live event editing into a television show is kind of a news update. You know, if if it was part of the story, if that makes sense. So, um, we tried a number of different things and certainly the title changes and house shows was, was one of them.
0: Let's talk about what's next here for the guys, uh, on no September 23rd. They're doing a nitro from Birmingham and Booker T and Stevie Ray are defeated by public enemy, but take the titles back for the seventh time on Saturday night. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about public enemy, but we just recently touched on them. Who do you think Booker and Stevie had their best matches with? I, I put over the Nasty Boys as being somebody that I really enjoyed them with. Did you like them with the Steiners or public enemy or or was there a style that you knew, hey, if I'm putting the heat in there with so and so, they're gonna have a badass match?
2: Well,
1: Harlem Heat had great matches with the nasty boys as we've covered, certainly with the Steiners and also with um Public enemy. But if I had to pick one team that I thought they had the best matches with consistently, I'd I'd give it to the Steiners. Mm. Because the Steiners not only were physically tougher, in my opinion, than the Nasty Boys, um, they had the ability to do more. They could go a little deeper into their bag of in-ring tricks to put on a more spectacular shot, whether it's the Frankensteiners or anything else, you know, that they were capable, or in Scott's case, of uh, doing. So I, I, would, I would give a nod to the matches they had with the Steiner brothers as my favorite, not taking anything away from Public Enemy or the Nasty Boys because they were all great, but I just think there was a little more depth in the matches they had with the Steiner brothers.
0: I don't know why I remember this next match so well, but ultimately they would lose their tag titles. to the outsiders at Halloween havoc on October 26, 1996, I think you and I have decided maybe together that Halloween havoc 96 is probably one of our favorite WCW pay-per-views of all time. Right?
1: I think so. It would be hard to beat it. And again, we've covered so many different shows and we've gone back and looked at so many. I'd like to look at that one again, but It's safe to say in general, you know, 96, in my opinion, at this point, 96, I'd probably say 97 was WCW's best year overall, but by late 1996, the world had changed. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah. The world had changed, especially in WCW. Um, I really enjoyed, I don't know why I enjoy that match so much, but I do. But after the match, they become full-fledged faces when they fire Colonel Robert Parker and beat him up. And I got to tell you, you know, I never thought he was necessary. I like heat by themselves or with Sherry, but the pairing with Colonel Robert Parker, it never hit for me. What say you?
1: I agree. And part of the reason it wasn't necessary is because Stevie and Booker could cut a hell of a promo. The only time you need, again, this is just my opinion. Everybody's going to have different ones and none of them are wrong. Right. All right. It's, it's, it's just taste. Um, but for me, I find managers completely distracting, not only unnecessary, I find them to be a pain in the ass and distracting as a viewer when you've got talent that can talk. Right. In some cases better than the manager. Right. Um, I want to hear what the talent has to say. I don't give two shits what the manager has to say. I don't care. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've got somebody who's not that great on the mic and not that interesting, Brock Lesnar, I love watching him in the ring. Right. I love, I love the mystique. I love the. I mean, he's a freak of nature and an amazing athlete. Yes, I want to watch him, but I don't really want to hear from him. Right. But I want to hear from Paul Heyman. Oh, yeah. No, that's a great package, right? They benefit each other. One plus one equals three. But when you've got a great talent that you want to hear from and you care about, I don't want to hear from the manager. It's totally a, and it's a waste of talent, by the way. It's a waste of money because you don't need it. It's economically, it makes no sense. I just want to hear from the talent. Um, so yeah, it was unnecessary. And I think it was one of the best things that happened to Harlem. Heat was getting away from Parker. And by the way, I think Robert Parker is one of the most entertaining sons of bitches on television back then. For sure. He was, he was amazingly talented and interesting and fun to work with because he was so good. But I just think in that package, he was just, he was, it was a distraction more than anything.
0: Well, the heat aren't done with Colonel Robert Parker. Now they're feuding with his latest team. The amazing French Canadians, a feud. They obviously win In 97. They continue feuds with public enemy, the Steiners and the NWO. I guess most WCW wrestlers had something to say about the NWO in that year, even if they weren't programmed with them. And then we do something a little different spring stampede. 97 happens Booker T and Stevie Ray are backstage talking to Mean gene. We should mention we're, we're headed towards. A four-way pay-per-view main event. And Booker T and Stevie Ray are gonna be singles competitors here, I believe with Lex Luger and the Giant. And Booker T is cutting a promo and man is he fired up. And after we take Lex Luger and the Giant, we want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you. And you remember what happens from there. As soon as the word leaves Booker's mouth, he puts his hands over his head like, oh God, what did I do? Sherry is like rubbing his back, trying to reassure him and stays in character. Booker recovers, puts on the mean mug again, but in his hall of fame podcast, Booker T described it as the worst moment of his life in WCW. He said he wanted to stick his head in the sand. He said the wrestling business until that day, none of his peers in the business had ever heard him say that word quote. I thought it was the end of my career. And it's kind of funny years later, when the WWE network first went live, a lot of people went to that show first to see, did they edit that out? What'd you think Eric, when you are watching the monitor and you see that promo happen and you realize, uh oh,
1: time kind of froze. I mean, everything just stopped. Yeah. I didn't know how to react. Um, I was shocked. I was sh- and not, not angry, shocked. I mean, I was literally just like everything in my brain stopped working. Right. It just stopped. Um,
0: and you decided and then right I then to- I, I got to fire bill Watts right now. I, where is he? <laughs> I'm going to fire him right <laughs> now. <laughs> <Fucking> bill Watts. <laughs> oh, thanks for adding
1: some humor. I'm still fucked up over that.
0: I can tell I'm trying to lighten the mood a little bit. No, I'm just
1: so disappointed in myself for not preparing better for this show. Um, I owe it to the audience and to you, so I'm I'm disappointed in myself, but I'll I'll get over it. You know, I don't know what I was thinking. I, it was shocked. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. How do you describe shock? I was. You weren't mad shocked. at him. It,
0: he he it, knew he made a mistake. It was an it, accident. I mean, it's not intentional.
1: No, it wasn't intentional. And you knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't. Everybody knew it wasn't intentional. And here's where. You know, again, it's a it's a cultural thing, you know, and, and the only, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for Booker here. Not that he needs me or anybody else to make an excuse. He, he knew what he did was wrong the instant he said it. Right. Um, and he regretted it the instant he said it. So there's no excuse necessary. But times even then were different than they are now. Oh, yeah. And I think when you grow up in a certain environment, when you're hanging and talking with, you know, friends and people you hang out with and there's no cameras on and you're joking around or something, you know, you'll say things that you wouldn't say on television. And I I don't know, I never talked to Booker about it. We never sat down over a beer and and discussed it, but I'm guessing it was just one of those, almost a subconscious attempt at humor um, that backfired instantly. I don't know. But it was, it was regrettable. But like I said, Booker, was, Booker and Stevie, we're talking a lot about Booker, but Booker and Stevie were both consummate professionals. Everybody knew it. They right. had a ton of respect from everybody associated with WCW as well as the fans. So it was nobody took it as, oh, my God, I can't believe he'd go there. It wasn't that. It was a mistake.
0: If you're a business owner, you don't need me to tell you that running a business is tough. But you might be making it harder on yourself than is actually necessary. Don't let QuickBooks and spreadsheets slow you down anymore. It's time to upgrade to NetSuite. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and the old software you've no doubt outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save both time and money with NetSuite. Join over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. That's netsuite.com forward slash 83 weeks. Tell me, was there any fallout from Turner corporate? I mean, listen, there's been times that things have slipped out. This is on pay-per-view. It's not on TV but clearly it's an accident. So I, I just assume everybody gives him a pass here. Yep. Yeah, they did. Let's talk about July 7th, 1997. The Harlem heat are going to fire Sherry and add a new manager. Ms. Jacqueline, uh, that happens on September 15th on nitro. W- why the need to fire Sherry? Was it just storyline or behind the scenes? Was there an issue with Sherry? Let me tag you in and make it a little easier for you. Tony Schiavone has told us that there were times when Sherry would show up and maybe wasn't always as clear headed as she could have been. And he felt like at times she was a lost soul. And we know, unfortunately, uh, Sherry passed away of a, of an accidental overdose at her home here in Alabama, uh, where she, I believe was living, living with her mom. It was that starting to rear its quote unquote ugly head a little bit. Or was this just a creative decision here in 97? God, I hate these types of things.
1: It was pretty obvious, I think, to everybody, as Tony pointed out, that Sherry had some challenges. Yeah. And it was becoming more and more of a problem. You know, Sherry, when you go back and you look at some of Sherry's work, you know, before she really started having those issues, she was – I think she was, she was a beautiful woman. She was tough. She, it was all the things that we talked about earlier, but her challenge was so significant that it became visibly apparent. Um, she would have a hard time getting through a promo that wasn't embarrassing. So, yeah, that was the
0: issue. Let's talk a little bit about Uh, Jackie coming in, who would have been an advocate for her? What can you tell us about Kevin Sullivan? Okay.
1: Kevin Sullivan, Kevin, loved Jackie's work.
0: Any good memories of working with her or, or, you know, whether it's on camera or behind the scenes.
1: I mean, generally, yeah. I mean, I I didn't spend a lot of time with her on on a one-on-one type of basis, but in the interactions that I had with her creatively, laying something out, producing something, cutting promos, that type of thing, um, tough, focused, incredibly professional, and she was generally easy to work with. Now, she did have a fairly strong opinion sometimes about, what worked for her and didn't work for her, but not in a selfish way, just in a self-aware way. You know, she knew what her strengths were. She knew what her strengths weren't. Um, And she would, the only time she would speak up creatively that I can recall were situations where she was being asked to do something. I'm talking about physicality now, do something or participate in a match that she didn't feel she was as good at as perhaps another approach to it. So there were those occasions, but I really want to emphasize that for me, I liked working with people like that because it was honest. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't, oh, I don't want to do a job for that guy or that girl. I don't, I don't want to do this. Cause you know, I, I need to get my stuff in. It wasn't selfish. It was very professional. And, but she was also really tough. She was straightforward She didn't, she didn't soft sell or backpedal or she was not shy. Right. She was a very strong individual, but again, in a professional way, not in a selfish way or self-serving way. Same thing.
0: Harlem heat is eventually put out of action by the NWO, but they return to feud with the faces of fear. Eventually Stevie needs to take about five months off from WCW to recover from an ankle injury. And around that same time, Jackie's going to leave for the WWF. And Booker is going to start to transition into singles competition. Was this always the plan or is this just the way things shake out sometimes? I mean, you go back. Well, it and-
1: wasn't, it wasn't the plan at all. I don't think anybody ever contemplated breaking up Harlem Heat, At least that I can remember. And, and there were no serious conversations about it. It was just, okay, we got to move forward. Right. Five months is a long time. What do we do? Especially when you've got a hot talent like Booker T was, um, you can't afford, to let that talent sit around, you know, absence makes the heart go fonder, grow fonder. And that's a great tool to use, but you can get to a point where out of sight, completely out of mind, and you lose that ability to kind of bring that talent back with more fanfare than he or she may have left with. So it was getting to that point where we had to use Booker, not from a financial point of view, because financially in 1997, everything was just fine. uh, And even 98 but from a talent perspective you don't want somebody of that level sitting out for that long so it was it's just a decision that was made but it was made based on the circumstances
0: well it's uh, it's a happy accident because you go back in time and you look at how you know other teams have handled situations like this and i don't think anybody had the success that Booker did he manages to win the WCW World Television Championship while Stevie's on the shelf. Upon his return to WCW, Stevie joins the NWO. Booker continues his rise as a single star. Despite being on opposite sides, they managed to peacefully coexist. And by mid 99, Booker was able to convince his brother to leave the NWO and reunite Harlem Heat once more. They defeat Bam Bam Bigelow and Canyon for their record-breaking eighth WCW tag team championship run at the 99 road wild event. They lose them to the West Texas rednecks later that month on nitro. And then they get a chance to compete at fall Brawl 99 and win the titles for their ninth run. Uh, they lose them a month later to Conan and Ray Mysterio. And then when the filthy animals were stripped of the WCW titles because of an injury. They're put up at a three-way dance at Halloween havoc and Harlem heat here claim their 10th and final tag team title run, picking up a win over the first family, which at the time was Hugh Morris and Brian knobs and the filthy animals, which that pairing was Conan and Kidman. They lose the belts the very next night to the filthy animals. I think you're seeing what I'm trying to tell here titles here in WCW boy. It's uh, it's hard to keep up with. Shock TV, I guess, or crash TV or
1: desperation, whatever you want to call it, but yeah, it, it got to the, it, it, it went from being ridiculous to absurd in a very short period of time.
0: Nonetheless, 10 tag team title runs, a lot of accolades for Harlem heat. Let's talk briefly about Harlem heat 2000 in late 99, a female bodybuilder named midnight joins Harlem heat. And while Booker T liked the addition, Stevie Ray neglected her help And started to argue about it with Booker T Ray eventually challenges midnight in a match that would decide whether she would stay with Harlem heat and after being defeated with a surprise, small package, Stevie Ray turned on both Booker T and midnight. And I guess this is inevitable, right? That you're going to have, if you've got a a pairing like this and they were once apart and now they're back together, you got to have them wrestle each other, right?
1: Yeah, I guess it's one of those things that it's kind of a built-in story. You know, it's going to happen at some point. You just don't know when.
0: Uh, We should mention Midnight was trained at the power plant. She was a bodybuilder before her wrestling career. I think she's a realtor in Florida now. Um, And we've had variations of, you know, uh, Legion of Doom 2000 and Tecmo Team 2000 and Harlem Heat 2000. I guess in that era, just putting 2000 behind your name. meant Oh, it's new. Uh, Well, in February of 2000, Stevie Ray forms Harlem. Heat incorporated with big T and cash cash was formerly known as four by four from the no limit soldiers and Jay Biggs, who many of us remember from the WWF and Stevie Ray and big T would start referring to themselves as Harlem heat 2000. Of course, big T we used to know as Ahmed Johnson in the WWF, but well, he's a little bigger now than he used to be. We mentioned Jay Biggs. You might've remembered from the WWF there. He was Clarence Mason. And in real life, yes, he is an attorney. This pairing of Harlem heat, uh, in a word sucked. Did it not? I mean, without Booker, it ain't the Harlem heat, at least to me.
1: Yeah. I don't know what to say about it. It was ill-conceived at best. Um, it, it, it didn't work at all. It did not work at all
0: it feels a little bit like trying to do the horseman thing without flair, like without Booker T it's not the Harlem hate, at least to me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You know, some things are just better left alone, you know, move yeah. on to the next chapter, you know, come up with a better idea. Um, y- you can only go back to the well so many times, especially when you're going back to the well without any ink right. or without any water in this case. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't work at all. It was desperate. And ill-conceived at best.
0: Of course, uh, we should mention Booker T eventually lost the the rights to his music and the letter T in his name at Super Brawl 2000.
1: There's stakes for you. There's stakes for you. If you lose, you can't use your mu- music or that T thing at the end. You can't do that. You just got to be Booker.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now he's simply known as Booker. Big T would pin Booker in the match. Uh, Kidman and Booker would then defeat Harlem Heat 2000 and Uncensored. And that's really it for Harlem heat in WCW. I do briefly want to talk about their theme song for a second. Uh, not only was it at stake in a match that we just talked about, but it wound up being Booker T's theme song for the rest of his career, except for a couple of short periods. Booker T said this on his podcast. That's some music that WCW back in the day found in the archives. When I went to WWE, I really needed that music and they purchased the rights to that music. I don't know if they bought it outright, but I could definitely not have gone through my career with any other music than that song. I remember at one point they tried to change my music in WWE and they had me coming out to a rap song that wasn't working for me. So I went to Vince and said, I need my old music back, please. He said, okay, roll with it for another three weeks to a month and we'll get it back. I did not feel nowhere. The same as Booker T walking out at that music as I did walking out to the Harlem heat music that I had seared into my brain for so many years. That song, when I first heard it, I knew it was the song that I wanted and the song that I needed because the song didn't stereotype Harlem Heat. When you heard that song, you knew it was Harlem Heat, and no matter what color you were, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you were going to start rocking. And I got to tell you, it probably is one of the better WCW theme songs. What do you think about it? I loved it, you know, and it did fit. And I think in hearing, you
1: know, I, I hadn't heard, You know Booker T. You know referenced the music in that context, but it I think that shows you where Booker's heads at as an entertainer, yeah, a performer. Uh, He had a much broader view of himself than perhaps other people may have had for him. And I think everything that you just read to me, based on that interview uh, or that quote that you gave me from Booker T., says just about everything you need to know about Booker T. in terms of being a professional
0: he, he, we, we know he's going to go on to become world champion in WCW. Uh, I guess, I mean, right behind Ron Simmons, he's only the second ever African-American world champion in WCW. And I don't think at that point, the WBF had ever had an African-American world champion. I don't know that there was anybody more deserving though, than Booker T. I mean, you look at his singles matches that he had back in the day with Chris Benoit and that best of seven series and all the stuff he did with Harlem heat. He had earned his stripes with the audience. The audience believed in Booker T. Did they not?
1: They did. And I think the best of seven series, I'm really glad you brought that up. It would have been a shame to do this entire show without talking about that. I think if there's anything that has probably, oh, I'm going to use a term I hate, but leveled up yeah, and, and, and better said, really established a legacy Beyond, you know, you you can develop a reputation, but a reputation isn't a legacy. Um, I think that best of seven that Booker T had with Chris Benoit nailed his legacy. It 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 took him out of the it took Booker T out of the category of being. He was a great wrestler. He was a great entertainer. He was a great performer. To being one of the best of the best, that was an amazing series. And if anybody had any doubt about whether or not Booker T deserved the accolades and the respect and Stevie. Now, Stevie wasn't in that match, but it didn't matter. It carried over that credibility carried over to the team. Um, That best of seven series was special. And I remember going into that, you know, started out, well, let's do a a two out of three. And we did it Went wow, that was really good. Can we do, you know, three out of five, would that be insane? let's try it whoa that was even better than two out of three can we go best of seven everybody I mean I'm talking about the people in the back the people in you know the creative you know part of the business that weren't involved in the match they were more excited about it and, and turned on by it than you know the audience was I mean everybody was shocked at that and how good that was and I'm really glad you brought that up thank you
0: Let's also mention, um, and, and I don't know, I'm, we're, I know we're going to do a Booker T episode. I don't know when we will, but we are going to do a full episode on his singles run. Uh, but I do briefly want to just put this bug in your ear. Uh, Michael Landsberg once said that he was, that Booker was salaried at close to a million dollars a year. And all of those records are out there. We'll dig them up, but he won a total of 21 titles in WCW that makes him the most decorated performer in WCW history. He was the United States champion and the world champion when the con when the contract, or I guess the, the final bell landed on WCW and he makes the jump over to the WWF and we know he's going to be programmed in a big way there right away. But, and that's a whole nother story for another time, but I don't know that a lot of people would have really ever sat down and thought about, okay, if wrestling quote unquote, was a legitimate athletic competition <laughs> who won the most championships Booker freaking T 21 titles in the organization. When people think about WCW, they think of the flagship or the franchise, if you will. Well, it was flair or it was sting. I think you could make an argue or an argument that Booker T's got to be in that conversation that Mount Rushmore of WCW. And we know he had an incredible run in the WWF. As I said, that's another show for another day. I do want to mention Harlem heat, which is the subject of our show had one last match on February 21st, 2015 Booker T and Stevie Ray reunited for Booker's uh, promotion there in Houston reality of wrestling. It was called the final heat. That was the name of the event. And, uh, and they won. So, uh, well, I guess they were the, uh, They were in a match with the new heavenly bodies for the row ROW tag team championships, and they defeated them. So in their one match back, one more little tag title run. Of course we know back on April 6th, 2019, they're a part of that 2019 WWE hall of fame class. I didn't know that Dave Meltzer said Stevie Ray didn't deserve it. I hope he didn't really say that, but my goodness, what a special tag team. This was, what do you think the legacy of Harlem heat will be? I mean, I don't think they're talked about the same way the road warriors are, or the Legion of doom, or, uh, you know, the Steiner brothers or, or the midnights or the rock and rolls or the nasty boys, even, but Harlem heat's gotta be up there in the short list of all time. Great tag teams. Right. They deserve to be no, no question about it. And, you know, to the Dave
1: Meltzer, uh, question. Yes, he did say it. And as a matter of fact, on the Jericho cruise that I referenced earlier on here, uh, now, I wasn't sitting at the table, <clears throat> so I'm I'm telling you something that I heard from Booker T, okay. by the way. So this is not just third-hand information. Um, but uh, I had heard that there was an incident that took place. I think Ric Flair was at the table with Booker T and a couple other people. And um, because of the fact that they did say that, Dave Belser, you know, in his stupidity, I guess, or because he thinks he's one of the boys or wants to be, um, he's... He decided he was going to, you know, come up and say hello to Booker T and, and Rick Flair and whoever else was sitting at the table. And uh, the, the way Booker described it to me, I'm not going to go into it word for word, but it essentially, Booker shared his opinion of Dave's opinion. And the last time anybody saw Dave, he was slithering out the door like the snake that he is. So. Um, I got a particular kick out of that. That was a highlight of my cruise. And Booker T was telling me that story literally as we were getting off the ship. And I was so angry that I missed it because it would have been fun to watch. Um, But that aside, um, they certainly Booker T, Stevie Ray, Harlem, he absolutely deserved to be in that, that conversation. It's unfortunate that sometimes they're not, but I'm, and I'm not making excuses for anybody uh, wrestling fans or otherwise, but I do attribute a lot of that to the fact that so much happened in such a short period of time during Harlem Heat's run with WCW, good and bad, by the way, most of it good for Harlem Heat, by the way, um, that it sometimes it was a blur and it doesn't stand out as much. There wasn't as much focus on on Harlem Heat and the success that they were having in their journey if you will you know through WCW because there was so much other stuff going on at the same time so I don't think it's because of any lack of respect anything else i just think you know timing sometimes works really well for you and a lot of you know in many respects timing was really good for harlem heat because a lot of great things happened to them they made a lot of money they had a lot of success they got to work with some great teams they were on a national platform that had record ratings that had never been seen before and have yet to be seen since um those are all the great things that happened because of timing Unfortunately, because of all those great things that were going on at that time, it's easy to forget sometimes just how far Harlem Heat came from the beginning to the middle to the end of WCW, because that beginning and the middle and end, those three acts took place over a period of about four years in reality. And uh, there was a lot of other good stuff happening, too. So, But it doesn't take anything away from what they accomplished. It's just the context of perception in that case.
0: Uh, Ted has a fun question. He says, which member of Harlem heat was the funniest and which would you want on your side in a bar fight? They're both funny,
1: but in a different way, Booker, Stevie Ray's funnier.
0: Come on.
1: Huh? No, no. Well, let me finish. Booker's humor is yeah. Oh god, I'm trying to think of a stand-up comedian to compare him to, but Booker's Booker's out there. He's he's funny. He's grabbing a hold of a situation or a conversation or something that he sees or hears, hears someone say and he'll turn that around and he'll make everybody laugh. He's kind of a spontaneous guy that way. Stevie's humor is way more subtle. Like he'll say something and you won't realize it's funny for about 15 seconds. <laughs> It's kind of like delayed reaction. you like, ah, Now you get it. You know, I just did a, um, a it's not a podcast. Uh, Stevie Ray's got a Twitch show that I did about three months ago. I think three or four months ago, whatever it was. And he's the same man. He's funny as hell. He's funny as hell. Dude. But it's a different, they're both funny, but they're in such different ways that it's hard to compare them.
0: Stevie Ray tickles me. He used to make uh, a facial where he would put po- pooch his lips out and bug his eyes out. It was hilarious. He would also say suckers gots to know which Tony and I still think is one of the funniest things I ever said on TV, but my favorite, and I've stolen this and used it for a long time. He would call people in promos, a fruit booty. And uh, one of my favorite drinks in new Orleans oh, that has like muddled mint and raspberry or some shit. Oh, it's called a Southern gentleman. That's it. Anyway, I nicknamed it the fruit booty because they bring it out with like this mint and all these berries fruit. Booty is one of the best cut downs ever. I don't know. I loved it. Uh, Rajiv wants to know, and this is a great question, especially today. Did you realize at the time, how groundbreaking for many young African American people, it would be that the Harlem heat were the tag champions. I, this only stuck out to me as a big question because I'll never forget watching nitro and my best friend at the time was a black guy named Brian Crutcher. We went to high school together. And he turns to me and, uh, you know, we're watching them wrestle the Steiner brothers. I'm pulling for the Steiners. He's pulling for the Harlem heat. We didn't even make, I didn't make the correlation that I was pulling for the white team and he was pulling for the black team. And he said, you know, they're my Steiner brothers. And it never really clicked for me that way. But my favorite tag team as a kid was the Steiner brothers. His was the Harlem heat. And I don't know what it was about the racial component of that, but it was like, And I never really thought of that. And so now for Rajiv to ask, did you recognize that this could be inspirational and a big deal for a lot of young African-American fans watching at home?
1: This is a, it's a really great question. And I'm struggling to be honest with myself, right? I'm going to give it a whack. I think the answer is no, that's the answer. Yeah. But. I'm not sure if it's because I am colorblind in a way. Right. I mean, I'm not. I'm aware. But when it comes to what I like and don't like or respect and don't respect, I'm, I'm colorblind. And when I see something that's really, really good, when I see a talent that I really, really like, I don't think to myself, wow, that's an African-American talent that I really like. It's just a talent I really like. Right. But at the same time, I didn't grow up black. I didn't grow up feeling and experiencing, more importantly, experiencing the same things that young boys, young people grow up experiencing in the African-American community. So in a way, if I'm really being honest with myself, it's not so much that I'm colorblind is I'm just haven't had that experience and therefore if I'm really being honest with myself I'm unaware I'm in the truest sense of the word ignorant right because I didn't experience it I don't know what it feels like to not have a character that's inspiring that's also black so no I didn't know but Not because I didn't care or because it didn't matter to me. Same thing, I guess. It's just because, number one, I don't think about it. Right. I don't judge people based on their race. But I feel a little bad that I'm not more aware because I should be. I, I, I should have at that time gone, wow, this is important because not right. that it would have changed anything. We, we did what we did in, in a positive way and in a constructive way. And I wasn't motivated to do so because of any other reason than it was a talent driven opportunity. It was talent that worked. It was fun. It was the audience loved it. And that's the only prerequisites that I ever had whether people were white, black, Asian, doesn't matter. Um, but I, I guess I do need to be a little bit more in it's black history month. And I think that's something that perhaps I'm going to take away from the show. And maybe somebody else will too, is that just because you may not feel a certain way, um, don't let it stop there and be aware that just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not true.
0: We should also mention, you know, representation is important. And, you know, we've seen some regrettable gimmicks. I've taken Bruce to task over the years about the way certain characters were represented or certain uh, ethnicities were represented on, on WWE programming. Sometimes it was tongue in cheek, but you know, like having really fantastic luchadors that you made household names on nitro, ride a lawnmower to the ring and call themselves the Mexico's. That's a little, that's less than awesome. Uh, but the Harlem heat had a similar start here and thankfully it didn't make air, but man, what a great run they were able to have. But I do think that representation is important because if I'm honest with you, it never crossed my mind either. Uh, but then great friend of the show, Ron Funches, years ago, uh, was a little frustrated with programming, uh, in wrestling in a more modern era and said, these people, you know, don't consider me as a fan. And I think that was really powerful. I had never really considered that there are super passionate African-American fans who, when they look on TV, they don't see anybody who looks like them unless it's something a little less than, and, and Booker T man, he broke through all that bullshit and became a tippy top guy on on every station he was ever on, whether it was WCW or WWE or TNA. And I'm glad we were able to talk about that a little bit today because it is Uncomfortable, especially when, you know, it's a, a guy who looks like me and sounds like me and, and an older white man to having the conversation. But this is an opportunity for us to all think a bit and try to do a little better. Wouldn't you agree? Love you for saying that. Well, I agree. Boys and girls, that's going to wrap us up here. You know what? Before we get out of here, since we put over the song so hard, I got to ask who deserves the credit for that badass Harlem Heat theme song? We're going to have them play us out today.
1: I don't know. I think it was in the WCW or Turner Broadcasting music catalog that they licensed thousands of songs from, including the NWO theme song that was all just part of this big catalog that Turner had blanket rights to. So I'm not sure who it was.
0: Well, it's a badass song and, and it's fitting for a badass tag team. And we hope that you guys enjoyed our badass podcast. Sorry for throwing you a curveball today and getting you off kilter right at the start of the show today, Eric.
1: No, I deserved it. Taught me a lesson. Taught me a lesson.
0: Well, next week, we're going to be back doing something kind of fun. We've got TNA all against all odds from 2011. It's going to be headed your way on February 8th here on the main feed. Uh, The following week, we're going to do super brawl revenge, which is the final super brawl from 2001. We'll wrap up the month of February with a very special profile on Eric's original mentor in the wrestling business. Mr. Vern Gagne. But we've also got two very special bonus episodes we're working on doing this week, Eric. We're going to go back and watch the original Billionaire Ted skit that aired in January of '96. And I know you've been salivating for this. I've got a whole bunch of clips pulled for Eric Fires Back. Oh, boy. (laughs) This will be fun. Catch all these shows right now, early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Don't forget to also hit the subscribe button for the Kurt Angle Show, which debuts this Super Bowl Sunday for free. Or you can see it right now at adfreeshows.com. Until next time, he is at e. Bischoff. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad, and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey, before I let you go, I want to leave you with one last thing. If you're on the fence about going to save with Conrad.com, you're not sure if we can actually save you some money, I thought what better to do than to let you hear from an actual customer. This is a video message from satisfied client and friend of the family. Now, Mr. John Largent.
2: Hey, Derek, this is John Largent in San Antonio. I just wanted to thank you and Jennifer and the team at First Family for helping us with our mortgage. You guys were phenomenal. You were easy to reach out to and connect with and stay in constant contact with until the deal got done. I can't say enough good things about you guys. It's made a huge difference in our lives and I am going to recommend you to everybody that I know. And I'm a podcaster. I do podcasting for a a, a living. And so if you guys ever need uh, any free advertisement, you're going to get it through the network of shows that we do here because you have been phenomenal and i can't say enough i wish you guys a, a happy new year i feel like i know you man and uh that's the way you guys made us feel as clients so i really do appreciate it and i wish you and uh, the team there at first family all the best in t- 2021 thanks a lot man bye-bye
0: hey man and happy new year to you i'm glad we were able to help your family but now i want to help your family that's right i'm talking to you If you're in a 30-year loan, if you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. Find out right now for free. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And we're licensed in more than 40 states. What are you waiting for? Hurry to savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention, if you haven't already made this month's house payment, you can skip your next two house payments. That's right, your single biggest bill. You're just going to keep all that cash. Let's get the new year started right. Let's make it happen at SaveWithConrad.com.
2: John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titles and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you can pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen.